Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, I'm really excited because uh, we have a guest speaker this morning who's going to continue our series on imperfect disciples. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to seeing what God does through him and, and through the word this morning. Um, our guest speaker is Pastor Kenny Wada from Evergreen San Gabriel Valley. And uh, I'll invite Pastor Kenny to come up. I know he's going to set up here in the center. Um, you can see the little bit of the brief bio we have in the, in the program. Um, pastor Kenny is the Senior Associate Pastor of Congregational Life Ministries at Evergreen, SGV. And uh, Pastor Kenny grew up in Orange County. We grew up together. Um, I have known, uh, Pastor Kenny have, and I have known each other longer than, much longer than I've known my wife and my, ki my kids. And um, so we grew up in church, playing basketball, cruising chicks, whatever. <laughs> um, and so don't believe anything that he tells you about me. <laughs> but pa Pastor Kenny, he's been a great friend um, for many years. He's a wise and gifted pastor and teacher. Um, he's got a beautiful wife, Kathy. They've been married 33 years. They have four wonderful daughters. Um, and, uh, you know, more than just being a pastor and teacher, he's, he's a friend and a brother in Christ. So uh, let's give him a welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. Thank you. It's a, um, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, thank you for inviting me to speak. Now, as Darren said, I grew up, we grew up together. I think we met each other in fifth or sixth grade, around there, or maybe earlier. And we went to Winnesburg Presbyterian Church. And he was the best man in my wedding. Yes, he was the best man in my wedding. Um, I think it's incredible to think that, oh, we're kind of echoing here. I think it's incredible to think that it was in high school, junior high, high school, that we came to Christ. We put our faith in him. And then now, gosh, 40 plus years later, we still love the Lord. Right? We still love him. We still need him. And when we share our life together, there's still a common faith that we hold. And to me, that's incredible. And... Um, from our group of friends, there's actually a group of us that by God's grace, he met us, and many are still hanging on to our Lord Jesus Christ today, and we're trusting him, and I just think it's a miracle. So I'm um, just really privileged to be here. Darren called me like two months ago. I want you to know this guy's organized. Like two months ago, he called me, because do you think I, I could preach? You could preach uh, our pastors on sabbatical? I said, sure. Uh, you've started a new series titled Imperfect Disciples, and when Darren shared that with me, um, I just really, I really like that title, right? Because we truly are imperfect followers of Jesus Christ. We are truly imperfect followers of Jesus Christ. We were brought into relationship with the Lord by his mercy and grace. Amen? Amen. Right? It was by his goodness and his love for us, not because we loved him, but First John 4, 10, it says that he loved us. He loved us, and he gave his son to atone for our sins. And he opened the door so that you and I, if we believe and we receive faith, we trust him, that he'll receive us back into relationship with him. 
It's all based upon him. And so we came to him imperfect. We came to him in great need. He forgives us. He brings us into relationship with him. And then we are perfect. No, we're not perfect at all. We remain imperfect, imperfect disciples, walking now with a perfect God who is perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect in all of his ways, but he's also a good, good father. He is merciful. He knows us. And yet he calls us to be like him. He calls us to love like him, to be holy like him. And so in our relationship with God, even though we come to him imperfect, for some reason, we do not like to admit or face our imperfections. Everyone in this church, we're here because we know we need Jesus, right? We know our temperaments. We know the things we struggle with, right? We know lusts, desires, maybe impatience, maybe our desire to control our kids so much that we just argue all the time. We know our imperfections, and yet, We have such a hard time facing them. We have a hard time acknowledging them. And so in church, sometimes we gather, we study the word, but rarely will we actually share a struggle. I'm having a problem, you know, in my marriage. I'm having a problem with this attitude that I always have at work or wherever wherever I'm at. We rarely share our imperfections, and yet that's who we are. And there's this this tension there, and we need to face it, because the way in which God changes us, the way in which he actually works in us, is when we actually face the stuff, the real stuff that's going on inside of us. That's the only way in which he changes us. And so we need to actually face what's going on in us. I think it's really funny, right? We, I mean, we come to Christ in need, and we gather and we sing songs about his forgiveness and grace, and yet when we interact with each other, rarely do we actually share our weaknesses and our struggles. And we need to face that. And so in the passage this morning that we're going to look at, okay, it's another uh, story. It's another uh, account of Jesus and his disciples. And what I want us to see is that Jesus had a way with his disciples. He had a way of bringing out their imperfect faith. And I just want us to go through the passage. I want us to take a look at it, and I want us to show you how God draws out our weaknesses. He wants to deal with those Because when he deals with our imperfections, then when we bring them to him, he's able to begin to perfect us. But it's not until we face those things. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Okay. Mark chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading... From verse 35, I believe it'll also be on the overhead. And is it NIV? Yes, all right. 
I have an ESV, but I'm going to read out of the NIV off of my handy-dandy iPhone. Okay. Here we go. This is Mark chapter 4. It's a very familiar passage, okay? And so as we read this, and I'm going to be talking about it, I don't know if I'm going to share anything new, but I want us to look at how Jesus draws his disciples out, right? the imperfections within his disciples. So if I were to title this sermon again, I would, I would call it Facing Our Imperfections, not necessarily Facing Our Unbelief. That is one of our needs, but generally Facing Our Imperfections. Verse 35, says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamps. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, again, I'm just going to go through this story, and then I want to draw attention of how does Jesus draw out his disciples. If you're following, uh, if you read through Mark, right, Jesus has been ministering. He has begun his ministry. He was baptized. The Spirit comes upon him, and he begins his ministry of proclaiming the kingdom and good news to all the towns around the Sea of Galilee. If you look on a map, and Israel is here, and the Mediterranean is here, Galilee is the northern part of Israel. And he is teaching and he is teaching with authority, it says, and power. He is healing people, not just of little sniffles, all right? Not of little things. He is taking people who are paralyzed, and he is healing them so that they walk again. He is opening the eyes of the blind. He is taking people who are tormented by demons, adults and children, and he is casting them out. They are like tormented in their mind, and then he comes, all he says is, be gone, and bam, they're healed. Word gets out, and it says that masses of people from all over Israel start making their way to northern Israel around Galilee. People begin to hear, hey, there is this dude, I don't know if they call him a dude, but there's this guy who's teaching with authority, and he's got power. And so as these people start to move toward Jesus, what you begin to see in the Gospels is that Jesus more and more begins to teach by the sea, and he begins to travel along the sea. And I think one of the reasons is that there's so many people that no matter where he goes on the land, he is surrounded. And so oftentimes he's teaching by the sea, and he'll get in a boat, 
And then from the boat, he'll address the masses that are before him. And so in this particular instance, this is what's happening in Jesus' life right now. And it says, on this day, and it's the first time recorded in Mark, Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee many times, but this is the first time after a long day of ministry, of teaching, of healing, it says, evening comes, and he tells his disciples, let's go across the Sea of Galilee. Right. Sea of Galilee, if you look on the map, it's 13 miles long and about eight miles wide. Okay. It's a pretty big, it's not a lake, that's why they call it a sea. It's a pretty big body of water. And it says in the passage, right, that they leave the crowds, they get into the boat, and it says, just as he was, and I think that just means no preparation, he's probably teaching, and then he says, let's go across. And just as he was, they get into the boat, and they start to go. Now it does, and it also says that other boats were with them. So he's in a boat, I don't know if it's all, his, all of his disciples, it doesn't say, but he's in there with his, some of his disciples, and there's other boats that are with them, following, going across. Now, again, we infer this from the story, but we know that as they're going, that Jesus falls asleep, right? That he falls asleep. Now, the boats in Jesus' time were uh, fishing boats. That's probably what they were in. And if you look on the Internet, if you Google Jesus' boat, they actually found a boat in the Sea of Galilee, all right, in 1986, and they preserved it. And so type in Jesus' boat, and you can read about it. It's pretty cool. But they're about 30 to 25 feet long, about seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet deep. So if you were to get like uh, five to six six-foot tables that you have out there, that's how long this boat would be, okay? About eight feet wide. They said it was flat on the bottom, and so this boat is not huge, but it could carry like 10 to 12 people. And so as this boat goes across, it says that Jesus falls asleep in the stern, all right? This boat is not big, so it's not like there's this underneath cabin that he's in, in a bed. It says, no, he's sleeping. And he says his head is on a cushion. Jesus did not bring a pillow. It was probably part of the boat, a soft part of the boat, maybe a seat. I don't know exactly what it looked like. But it def he definitely didn't bring a pillow. But as they're going across, it says the windstorm arose. Now, the Sea of Galilee, windstorms like that would kick up, and they would kick up quickly. It's probably very similar to Lake Crawley. Anybody fish Lake Crawley? Yes. Anybody else? Raise your hands high. If you don't, you need to fish that lake. That's an awesome lake. I fish it like twice a year. It's a huge lake outside of Mammoth, north of Bishop, and when you go there, a windstorm can kick up very quickly, right? It could be completely calm in the morning, and then we float tube. I can start kicking out there, and in about an hour and a half, if the wind starts kicking up, there's white caps, and you're in trouble. Very similar to the Sea of Galilee. A windstorm kicks up very quickly on those seas. And so as they're going across, sure enough, it's not uncommon. It's at nighttime now, they're going, and the wind begins to kick up. You have four people on that boat who are experienced, competent fishermen. You have Peter, Andrew, uh, James, and John. And they are fishermen by trade. And so they're experienced. 
And so probably as they're going across, Jesus falls asleep, the winds begin to kick up. I imagine they begin to think, okay, this might be a bad one, it might not be. But in the middle of the night, it becomes very, very, very bad. And it starts crashing. The boat is rocking. And if you're the disciples, I don't know what you're thinking, and we'd have no idea what the disciples are thinking. But Jesus remains sleeping. And so in this boat, if you can imagine the size of it, it's probably not just going like this, right? It's probably going like this. And probably people are going up and down, and it's rocking, and Jesus is probably maybe even moving as he's lying down. It's not a calm situation, but Jesus remains asleep. Now you think, I don't know if, I don't know any adults who sleep that deeply, but my daughter, my third daughter did. We would go to this camp called Mount Hermon, and she would play all day, and at the end of the night, we had dinner. And when we'd sit at the dinner table, once she sat down, passes out, like passes out, face on the plate, bloom, right? It's like, Haley, wake up, wake up. Shake her, stand her up, you know, do the thing. We pinch her nose, right? She just, and you can, we can stand her up and walk her down. And so what we do is we just pick her up, we'd put her on the ground, or we'd put her like on a shelf, not a shelf, but you know what I mean. Put her there, and she would sleep the whole dinner, and then she would sleep through the night. And there was nothing you could do. She could sleep through a rock concert, right? I don't know any adults like that. But for my daughter, and so all I can imagine is that Jesus is out like that. The winds are getting worse, and I don't know what the disciples are thinking. Maybe at first it's like, oh man, he is so tired. But then it starts to get worse. It says that waves start to actually break into the boat, and they're probably looking at Jesus, saying, thinking, thinking what, what is he doing? What is he doing? Is he breathing? <laughs> is he dead? Because right? it's kind of, it, it seems impossible that he would not do something. Why isn't he helping? And they can handle it all the way up to a point. And finally, right, in verse 38, it gets too much. I don't know who says it, it doesn't describe who says it, but the disciples finally go, all right, we're dying. We're going to die. The mission for the kingdom of God is going to stop here. What are you doing? And not only are we going to die, but all the other boats with us too. And so they finally turn to Jesus. They grab him, and they don't like tap him. Yoo-hoo. Or punch, you know, poke his face. That's what you do, I used to do to my kids. Hey, wake up, wake up. Yeah. No, it's like, he's out, and so I imagine it's like, teacher. And what do they say? Are you dead? No. Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care about what's happening? We finally begin to see what is happening in the disciples' hearts. And what it is, is that they are actually angry. They're scared, they're panicked, and they're angry. They're like, what, are you, what is he doing? Doesn't he care for us? And so I imagine, again, it's a very chaotic scene. Waves are coming in. They think that they might go down. They finally grab Jesus. Teacher, don't you care? 
Jesus maybe opens his eyes, gets up. It's very, there's very few things here. Like when you read it, right? He, where is it here? He awoke, and then it says, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, be quiet, be still. And I imagine because they heard of that and the wind is going, it probably wasn't like that calm. He probably just got up and he said, be quiet, be still. And the scriptures say that the place becomes greatly calm. It says, in my, in my passage, it says, there was a great calm. The wind stopped. And around the boat, it is glassy. Again, on Crawley Lake, when I'm out there on my, on my float tube and there's no wind, it is beautiful. The lake is like glass and it is so peaceful. And the only thing I could hear are like the cars on the 395. I can imagine the same thing here. Jesus says, be still, be quiet, and it becomes completely quiet. What do you think the disciples are thinking? And then Jesus says this, when it's completely calm and quiet, he says, what are you so afraid of? And if I was there, I'd be like, well, a few minutes ago, <laughs> it was this. <laughs> no, it's completely calm. What are you so afraid of? Have you still no faith? And then he says this. this I'm going to read from the ESV. And it says, and they were filled with great fear. In the ESV, when you look at the um, language here, it starts off with them in verse 37. The description is that there was a great windstorm. And the Greek word is mega. There was a mega windstorm. Right? And then when Jesus rebukes the wind in the sea, it says there was great calm. Right? That great word in the Greek, mega. There was mega calm. And then, in verse 41, it says they were filled with great, mega, great fear. And so they go from a great windstorm to great calm and then to great fear. But it's no longer of the wind and the waves. It's no longer fear of what's outside of the boat, but now it's fear of who's inside of the boat. And what they begin to realize is who is inside of the boat is God Almighty. Who's inside of the boat, who's with them, is a God who loves them, who is with them, 
will never leave them and has authority and power over all things. Amen? That's who's inside of their boat, and that's who's inside of our lives. I think I need to end and wrap up really quickly. <laughs> no? Okay. I want to just share with you, all right, what does Jesus do to finally bring out the disciples to acknowledge their anger, their frustration, and their fear to Jesus? What does he do? He sleeps. He does nothing. It's like he's absent. Paul Miller, the author of A Praying Life, points this out about Jesus. And this is really, this is so key. I, I love this. He says, Jesus often deliberately created situations where he is present but seemingly not in control. Jesus often deliberately created situations where he is present, but seemingly not in control. He writes this, he says, we want Jesus, we want a big Jesus, constantly, visibly present, so you will never have to worry. We instinctive, instinctively want Jesus to fill the space, to constantly be visible, so we just follow whatever, wherever he leads and do whatever he says. Let me say that again. We instinctively, and I, I, I do too. I, I, when I read this, I go, that's what I want. I instinctively want Jesus to fill the space, to constantly be visible before me, so that I will just go where he leads me to go, and I will do what he tells me to say. I don't want this ambiguousness. But this is what happens. He says, Jesus remains silent so that we might emerge. Jesus remains silent so that what is in us, the imperfections in us, the doubts in us, the things that actually rule us and not the Lord would actually come out. And when that finally happens, then Jesus can deal with that. But until that comes out, he has nothing to work with, and we have nothing to work with. This is a pattern. I want to show a quick diagram. Right? It's just very simple. We're following Jesus in this story. They're following Jesus. He says, go across the lake. They hit a great storm. Things start to get worse. Jesus is sleeping. He's absent. And then they yell out, don't you care? Right here on this bottom part is so critical in our lives because we will run into this again and again. Where are you, Lord? He, they cry out, don't you care? Jesus awakes. He calms the storm, and he reveals himself. Next slide. This pattern happens in our life continually, and it's not by accident. It's the way he designed it. He is out to grow our faith 
and to get to know us. He wants to know all the things that are happening within us. We ought to expect as we learn about him and we trust him, as you hear teaching from this pulpit, you go, okay, this is what the Lord wants me to do. He says he's going to be faithful. He loves me. We should start to walk in that way. But I want you to know that as you begin to walk in that way, you're going to hit hardship. Guaranteed. But then in that hardship, I often want God to be right there. I want him to be walking right beside me, telling me what to do. I want to see him work. That's not how it works. He's often hidden. Totally hidden. And why does he do that? Because he just wants to trick us? Because <laughs> he wants you to emerge. He wants to build your faith. He wants to see what's inside there. And when that starts to happen, what we often do is we just push that away. We don't tell anybody. We're ashamed of that. Ashamed of things that are out of our control or ways in which we act that we cannot stop or that maybe we prayed privately about have not changed. But God is saying, no, that is the sole reason why this is happening in your life is to bring that out and to take a chance in this community to begin to share that with another person. Because when, and cry out to the Lord for help. Because when you do, then God will deal with you. Because he loves you. He loves you. You know, one of the things, when I do get a chance to preach, one of the things I'm always saying is that the Father loves you. And we've got to believe that. Through Christ, he loves you. And so you bring to him, we bring to him all the stuff that's going in our hearts, all the doubts, all the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the ways in which we cannot love the way he wants us to love. We bring that to him, and then he can answer that is how Jesus works with imperfect disciples. Amen? It is the way he works. And so let's walk into that. Let's not be ashamed of it, of what comes up when we hit hardship and it seems like God is absent and disengaged. He's not. That's an opportunity for us to emerge. So I'm going to call up the worship team and the prayer ministry. Okay? And again, if you would like prayer, um, just for anything maybe uh, that you are going through, maybe that you haven't asked for prayer before because you actually feel like, gosh, I shouldn't be feeling these things. I shouldn't be experiencing these things. But maybe actually this is God's urging of me to actually bring those things to him so that he can speak to me. Then I, I encourage you to come up for prayer. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for your commitment and your love for us 
through your son Jesus that Lord in our imperfect being in our fallenness in our great need you loved us first you invited us first to come to you and you invite us just as we are we, 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 we begin our journey with you in need and we continue it in need it is our state and, we, and in that state you continually answer you reveal yourself and we build Lord our faith in who you are so thank you Jesus thank you in your name we pray amen